So, I got a few different places that I would like to go tonight. Um, But first, I want to ask you, how familiar would you say you are with the story of Jonah? Now, don't raise your hands or anything. I'm not being weird. I just, I have a hunch that this story, we think we know it better than we actually do. And this is the reason. I looked up Jonah this week. No, 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 wait, go back, go back, go back. There we go, there it is, there it is, there it is. That's a spoiler, guys, you got to see. Okay, look at, look at this. Look at all of these different illustrations. Like, you get Jonah as a baby up there in the middle. You get Jonah as a bearded guy. You get Jonah, Lego Jonah is over there on the right. It's like one of the, in like top five Old Testament stories, this is definitely up there, right? Like, if I say Jonah, you're gonna say, what? What's consistent through all of these? Whale. A whale, oh, look at that, it's crazy. Um, What's funny to me is that the whale shows up in like two sentences of the whole book. Like the point of the story is not the whale and the point of the story here is obviously the whale. Uh, It's very, very misconstrued. Or maybe you grew up with this. Whoa, crazy surprise, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm going to be honest, I, I may or may not have watched this in my prep for this sermon. Uh, it's actually really good. I would, it's on YouTube. You should go watch it. Anyway, um, so maybe you grew up like I did, right? Um, maybe you heard the story of Jonah from people in your life who portrayed him in this very one-dimensional, you know, it boils down to a basic moral teaching about how to be a better person, right? Um, and I what I want us to see is that there's so much more to the story of Jonah uh, than we think. Tim Mackey actually calls this the Veggie Tales factor, right? Children's media has mediated Bible stories to us, and so they have lost their original punch or their point. And so we, we simultaneously think we know the story without actually knowing it as much as we should. And so, like I said, I'm going to talk about a lot tonight, um, but what I want us to see first is that there's so much more to Jonah than we think there is. Um, So let's talk about this crazy little book. Um, And it is actually super small. It's only four chapters. You could probably read it in like a 15-minute setting. Um, And I really would encourage you to do that as we are studying this book over the next couple weeks. Um, Jonah's super, super quick. And so it's kind of a fun read. Um, Yeah, so let's start where any book does. Chapter 1, verse 1. It'll be on the screen, I think. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. And that is all we're going to talk about tonight. This, this, and I, I know that sounds crazy, but there's so much in this verse that we need to see before we dive into the rest of the story of Jonah. So first, before we jump in, I want to give us some super brief context on the Bible, like where in the story we are, um, because if you don't understand the broader story, it's hard to like put yourself in this story and actually make sense of it. Uh, to, so to start at the beginning, God creates the world. He calls it good. Literally on page two, humans mess it up, and we decide that we want to go outside of his will for us. And as a result, our relationship with God, there's like a gap there. We have left our intimate relationship with God that he had with us. Um, now this is, again, very brief overview, like super skipping like a ton of details, but the rest of the story of the Old Testament uh, is the story of God's chosen people, the Israelites, and how they consistently try to get back to God, but they fail over and over and over again. And eventually God raises up these people named prophets to come and speak to the Israelites on God's behalf. Uh, These prophets tell the people what the Lord wants them to hear. And they always point forward to a coming Messiah that would put the world back together again and bridge that gap. 
and the prophecies were fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, in the New Testament, he came to the earth and he lived a perfect life as the son of God and he took the weight of our sin and shame upon himself. He was crucified for us and he raised to life again and bridged that gap between us and God. This is the gospel, right? Uh, and while Jesus was here, he told his followers he would come back to the earth again and bring his kingdom in power and that it would be united again like it was in Genesis. God in intimate relationship with his creation. So, big story we're gonna zoom in on the prophets, and specifically um, the prophet named Jonah. Um, Jonah was a prophet that lived in the first half, around the first half of the eighth century BC, um, and he was one of God's messengers. He was one of these people that God raised up and gave words to to say to his people on God's behalf. So now that we've got kind of a broader context, I wanna go three different places, and then we'll sing some more worship songs and watch the first CS film of the year, that's exciting, uh, and then go hang out, watch football, whatever you wanna do. I got three questions to get through. I got a what question, a who question, and a why question. So first, what? What is this book? Let's establish what is this book and what is it not. So again, some larger context, the Bible is not one book. Actually, it's 66 different books written by over 40 authors over the course of thousands of years by the Spirit of God, and that is an amazing, amazing thing. Um, what's important to know is that there's different types of literature packed into the Bible. There's narrative, there's poetry, and our brain knows not to read those things in the same way, right? You don't read your textbook the same way you'd read something like The Lord of the Rings, right? Like, that would be silly. It's like, that's not how that works. Um, you wouldn't read a, a scientific report the same way you would read a poem. That's just not the way that that works. So, what is the book of Jonah? Is it narrative? Is it poetry? Is it something else? Uh, biblical scholars who are way out of my pay grade, like they're so much smarter than me. They have written so much on this topic, like literally books and books and books are written on the tiny book of Jonah. So if you have more questions, I would encourage you to do your own research. Uh, talk to me after this. Um, without getting too much in the weeds on all the scholarship, I believe that Jonah is most likely a historical narrative about a real guy and includes a ton of exaggerated humor and satire that we can kind of look back and laugh at a little bit. Like we can laugh at Jonah. Um, and so, yeah, in his, I love the way Tim Mackey says this. Uh, he talks about it how, basically because of the fish swallowing thing, usually this debate winds up being like, oh, well, you don't believe in the miracles if you don't believe Jonah's real, right? Um, and I, I think that's silly because as a Christian, we believe that Jesus raised from the dead, which is a much bigger miracle than somebody living in the belly of a fish, right? Um, and I think that these conversations are valuable, but I think that they miss the point of what Jonah is trying to say. What both camps can agree on here is that the book of Jonah is a beautiful literary piece of storytelling. So when we hold the book of Jonah, we wanna always let the author tell us what they mean. And this is true for the entire Bible. We want to let the author tell us what they mean, not project our own narratives and our own agendas onto the story. And this goes back to a greater value of CSF. We believe that we want to train in truth, um, which is to say that the Bible is the inerrant word of God and we want to walk through it regularly as a community. So that's why we're going through the book, but I'll, I'll get back to that. Let's finally get back to verse one, okay? We're gonna, we're gonna talk about it, okay? Um, to start, that line, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, that's consistent with every other book of prophecy. Actually, if you turn the page, you can read the book of Micah, which starts in the same way. It says this, the word of the Lord came to Micah the Morishite 
when he saw what he saw regarding Samaria and Jerusalem in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, Hezekiah, kings of Judah. All right, so this is a very common phrase in the Old Testament, very, very common. And what usually follows is many, 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 many chapters uh, about prophecy and what will happen to God's people, or sometimes even reflection and poetry about what has happened to God's people. And so if you were an ancient Hebrew listener, and I just said, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, you'd be like, ah, okay, I know what to expect. It's going to be really dense. I got to pay attention. There's going to be lots of prophecy. I got to like buckle up, right? And yet, if you're familiar with the story of Jonah, that is not at all what the book is. Instead of dense prophecy, what we see is a story about a prophet, not the words of God spoken through a prophet. There are other books of prophecy that have stories in them, like Hosea, for example, but none of them are solely dedicated to telling a story about a prophet. This is God's word to his people, not through the words of a prophet, but through a story about a prophet. This would be like if I invited you over to watch like The Dark Knight or Inception or something, which are like phenomenal movies. Um, but I told you it was a rom-com. Like that would be, like you'd be surprised. I don't think you'd be disappointed because those movies are great. But like that's what this would be like. It'd be like if I watched, like if we watched Sleepless in Seattle and I told you it was an action adventure movie. And you'd be like, what? Like that's, like your brain has to like take a second and like recalibrate because that's not at all what it is. What I want us to catch here is that this story is incredibly unique and unexpected, um, both by ancient readers and modern readers. So we know what this book is. We know what it's not. But who is Jonah? This is my second question. Who is Jonah? Well, so it actually is important, again, context, right? We first meet Jonah in the book of 2 Kings, chapter 14. In this account, Jonah prophesies in the favor of a king named Jeroboam II. Uh, and he is actually one of Israel's worst kings, like, ever. Like, he was awful. Um, you can go and read that account in, in, in the Old Testament. Uh, and Jonah prophesied in his favor which then it's actually really awkward. In Amos, one of Jonah's contemporary prophets, chapter six, Amos reverses the prophecy that Jonah prophesied in favor of King Jeroboam. So already there's like some shade around Jonah. Like you're like, is he really, like, does he know what he's talking about? Like, I don't know, man. But my point is, yeah, there, there's, there's lots of suspicion around Jonah off the bat. And furthermore, if we look at the Hebrew, Jonah, when you translate it, actually means dove. Jonah means dove. Um, and Amittai means faithfulness. And this is really funny, right? Because in ancient Israel, Israelite culture, doves represented gentleness, and they represented innocence and purity. And so the dove, the son of faithfulness, right? He's the one that receives the word of the Lord. And what do you think he'll do with this word of the Lord? Like if you, if, if, if you had to take a bet, right? What is the dove, son of faithfulness, gonna do with this word from God. If I'm going out on a limb, if I'm putting money on it, I'm not a gambling man, but if I was, if I was, I would assume that Jonah is gonna do whatever God tells him or relay the message. But again, if you're familiar with the story, this is not what happens at all. Um, Jonah is not on board with what God is doing. So instead of being a picture of a graceful, gentle, faithful prophet, we see a prophet who is disobedient and hard-hearted toward the people that God has called him to minister to. Jonah, who should be graceful and faithful, is the most faithless and angry person in this story. And you'll see that as we go. Okay, so we understand this book is definitely not normal, okay? It contains humor, it contains satire, and we know that Jonah is not acting as he should. But what does this actually mean for you and me? I said, we talked about what is this book, we talked about who is Jonah, 
But now, why? Why does it matter? Why are we doing this book at Encounter? There's like 65 other books of the Bible we could do. Why are we doing Jonah? And I have to, there's three points within this point. Okay, there's a lot. I have to, and I, I'm going to go as quick as I can here and be as clear as I can. Why are we doing this book? Okay, first reason. You see God's character, right? We talked about God's character. Again, if you were with us, we talked about Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. We dove deep into each characteristic of God and who, who he is and what that means for us. And so this story is our opportunity to see God's character played out in a story, okay? Secondly, we see Jonah's character. We see God's character, and then we see Jonah's character. And we can compare and contrast ourselves to Jonah through this story. So let me give you a little bit of a spoiler for the rest of the book, okay? You're about 2,000 years late. But um, after his attempted flight from the Lord's call, God brings him back and recommissions him on the same mission to preach to the city of Nineveh. He does what God asks him to do, and surprisingly, his preaching is wildly successful. That's unexpected, right? Uh, Nineveh, the entire city, and its cows. It's really funny, guys. We'll get there, okay? The entire city repents, but Jonah is actually furious with God for not destroying the city. So he says this in chapter four. It says, uh, Jonah was greatly displeased and became furious. He prayed to the Lord, please, Lord, isn't this what I said when I was still in my own country? That's why I fled to Tarshish in the first place. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding in love, and one who relents from sending disaster. And now, Lord, take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live, which is super dramatic. That's so dramatic. Can we laugh for a second at Jonah? That's funny. Uh, But does that verse sound familiar? Did that sound familiar, what he said? If you were with us, again, for Exodus, that's the verse we studied. Jonah quotes God back to God as an insult, which is crazy, okay? Uh, Jonah studied this verse, and he knew the character of God very, very well. And so have we, right? Theoretically, if you've been with us, we know God's character. How does Jonah let that affect his life? Not very well. Jonah is bitter and he's furious with God for being gracious. If we know God's character, if we claim to be a Christian, what does that say about our lives? What is, what is God's word actually doing to affect our lives? Scripture is a very powerful thing. Um, the book of Hebrews in the New Testament uh, says that it's sharper than a double-edged sword and I feel that sword when I read God's word. It is convicting and it is incredibly challenging to me. When we hold God's word, it should be changing us and shaping us. But sometimes, like Jonah, we don't allow it to. And I know this is possible because this was my story for a long, long time. Growing up, I knew that Jesus was important, but there were specific areas of my life that I did not want to give up to God's authority. I just didn't. I thought I could say I was a Christian and go to youth group and go to church or whatever and say all the right things, but not actually let go of my unhealthy behaviors. I thought I could pursue a relationship with God and not sacrifice the sinful behaviors that I was too stubborn to give up. Needless to say, I was wrong. Like, that's not how we're supposed to live, right? Jesus promises that if we continue to follow him, we will have to give up the things in our lives that are not consistent with his word. And not because he wants to, like, be an angry dad towards us, right? It's because he loves us and he knows those behaviors are not life-giving. They will not lead where you think they will lead. Living a double-minded life does not lead to flourishing. When we try to follow Jesus without giving up our picture of the good life, like what we want, 
it only results in an empty faith and a faithless life. Right, so the second reason we're doing this book, first is because we see the character of God. Second is because we can see the character of Jonah and we can really compare and contrast it to our character. The third reason, and, and really this is the most important, is because this story, like all the stories in the Old Testament, they point forward to the person of Jesus Christ. Honestly, guys, I really struggled with how to end this sermon <laughs> because my natural instinct is to do like a whole pump up speech about how we should be better than Jonah, right? Like Jonah knew God and we know God, so we should be better than Jonah, right? But by the grace of God, when I was writing this, I realized, man, I'm saved by grace. Like, it's not because I work really hard, right? Like, it's not, that's not why I'm saved. The Christian faith is the only religion in which the solution to our own brokenness and what we feel inside is not to pull yourself up and try your hardest and then maybe you'll earn God's love. Christianity says, I am unable to help myself. I'm unable. So someone else had to step in to save me on my behalf. This is why the gospel is so important. It's by grace that we've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. Now, does this mean we shouldn't try to be better than Jonah? No, okay. I don't think anybody in here wants to be more like Jonah. I think we don't want to be dramatic and, you know, take things out of context. But, um, yeah, we don't want to be more like Jonah. We, we should strive to be better than Jonah, right, if we're following Jesus. But that striving should not be in order to earn God's love. Like, we're not striving to earn God's love. We know he loves us, and so then that changes the way that we act, right? And here's how I know this story points to Jesus, right? In Luke, Jesus references Jonah and says that he, Jesus, is the greater Jonah, um, while talking to a group of people that are really struggling to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, he says this to compare them to the people of Nineveh who believe God through Jonah. He says, the men of Nineveh, this is Jesus talking, the men of Nineveh will stand up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for even they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and now something greater than Jonah is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. When it was clear which direction God wanted Jonah to go, he ran and turned and ran in the opposite direction. Jesus, even when he knew that he would endure a horrible death for you and me, he submitted to his Father's will. When Jonah was in the middle of a storm, he had to submit to it by being thrown in the sea. When Jesus was in the middle of a storm, he showed his authority by calming the waves and telling them to be quiet, and they listened. Jonah preached to the people of Nineveh out of an obligation. God literally had to drag him back, and, and, then, and then he preached. Jesus preached out of a place of genuine love for the lost and his desire for them to be saved. Jonah wanted God to destroy his enemies and exercise his righteous judgment. Jesus delights to show mercy to those that do not deserve it. Jesus is the better Jonah, and he is the true point of the story. I hope you see that tonight, and I hope you see it throughout our series on Jonah. So if you've never put your faith in Jesus before, I would love to talk to you about how his death, his resurrection, and yeah, his life can turn your life around. Um, or maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you've never really put your knowledge about God into practice. I would love to talk to you about what that can look like too. So as I'm gonna pray, and the band is gonna come up, and then we're gonna sing some more songs about what is true about God, and then we'll go and hang out. It's gonna be great. Dear Jesus, I thank you for uh, this ministry, God. I thank you for these people. I thank you that, um, yeah, they showed up, hungry to hear your word. Um, I pray that you spoke through me and that uh, somebody here 
needed to hear your words tonight. Um, I pray that you would continue to walk with us and convict our hearts uh, as we leave this place. Um, Yeah, and I just pray that you would work in the lives of each and every one of these people. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.